invitation song number 807. I'm ready for that. One of the beautiful things about the gospel is that it can be proclaimed in every culture and in continually new ways. Um, I would wager that it has never been said before that the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the new creation versus the old reminds someone of men in black too. I think that's a first. But we've arrived. We've arrived. Um, it's one of the things that is, is fun about preaching, is finding new ways to say ancient things. And, and to tell you things that you know and affirm those things, but at the same time to try and study things that are old and familiar in ways that deepen and broaden our understanding. And, and that invite us into a better uh, discipled relationship with Jesus, that invite us to walk with him uh, and him to walk with us as we go through life. Uh, we've been in this Faith Path series for a couple months and talking about how uh, for families, the best way for parents to pass their faith to the next generation uh, is to live the life of faith with them. It's for your kids to, as they grow up into young adults and eventually adults, uh, that they would say, my parents have a faith worth emulating. My parents have a faith worth copying. And I want to have a faith like my parents. Um, one of the things you hear people say all the time, this is really true, I think, for youth ministers, uh, is they say, I I'm not trying to give my kids my faith. I want them to have their own faith. And, and there's something that's very true about that. But at the same time, I think we need more parents who say, I have a faith that is worth my children copying. So that as Paul says, uh, you follow me as I follow Christ, we need more, more moms and dads who are saying, I want my kids following me as I follow Jesus. Right. Yeah, I want them to have their own faith and take ownership of it, but I hope that their faith is like my faith. I hope that it is in Jesus Christ, that I hope that they are uh, part of the body of believers that are saved and going to spend eternity with Jesus. That, that we believe that this is important enough that it's worthy of handing down to our children. And if... It, I'm, I'm off my notes here. I'm just ranting here at the beginning of my sermon. But here's, here's the last of the rant. The end of the rant is this. There are not parents today who are saying, I hope my kids grow up and get their own politics. I hope my kids grow up and decide for themselves how they want to vote. Parents today say, I hope my kids grow up and vote like I vote. And if we care more that our children copy how we vote and think about government than we do about how our children lead their lives according to King Jesus and his leadership in the world, then we've got a problem. And so we need to be intentional. And something I was reading earlier this week said, said listen, if you just imagine for a moment that you knew that this was your last days, to be alive and that you knew who was going to be raising your children after you died. And you just had a few days to write them a letter with all the instructions that you wanted to give them about how to raise your kids. Here's how I want you to get them through school and here's how I want you to teach them about God and Jesus and faith and, and here's how I want you to, to love them and here's how I want you to spend time with them. And all of those instructions say, listen, in, in my absence, please do these things. I said, how many of us, when we think about what would be in that letter, 
would need to use that letter as our own instruction book to step up and do a better job of raising our own kids while we're there. Because I think a lot of us would actually give instructions to the person after us that we're not actually following ourselves. Intentional parenthood invites us to thinking, what is the best way I can pass faith and, and raise my kids to be the kind of people that I want them to be and I believe that God wants them to be? How do we do that? And the best way is to live the life of faith with them. And, and as you look up here at the faith path, one of the things that you'll notice is that the salvation and baptism is not in the path. You don't graduate into being ready for baptism. It, it's its own thing. And it happens uh, that people become ready to make a lifelong commitment to Jesus Christ and accept the gift of salvation through baptism at different times and at different ages and at different stages in life. So it's not something that you kind of go, congratulations, you're done with seventh grade. You've memorized enough Bible passages. It's time for you to go get in the baptistry. It, It doesn't function that way. So it's not on the path, but it is pivotal. And it is essential, and it is part of what we want to teach our kids, is that salvation in Jesus Christ through faith and baptism is an incredible gift that God has given us. And that when you're ready, we need to be ready to to walk with our kids and walk through people who are wanting to become Christian through this journey of becoming Christian. Becoming Christian. And, you know, sometimes in the Church of Christ, we get the idea that we're the world's biggest fans of baptism. And we probably talk about it more than more other groups. And while we talk about it the most, I think there is the possibility that we expect the least from baptism. That while we talk about it the most, we often have a very limited expectation about what God is doing when we get into the waters of baptism and we come out a new, cre- cre- a new creation, a new creature. We're reborn in some way. But there's so much more to it than that. If all we think about when we think about baptism is that it washes your sins away and that it's some kind of eternal fire insurance, it guarantees if you get in the water with faith and you get out of the water that you're not going to be in hell forever and you will be with Jesus and in heaven forever. And it, and it, it does do that. Baptism is where our sins are washed away and atoned for. And we say, Jesus' death on the cross pays the price for my sins. He paid the price he did not owe so that I could be saved. That's That's the message of grace. And that is true, but there's so much more going on in baptism too. And if that's all we expect, then we're missing out on so many of the gifts and blessings and benefits that God intends for us to experience when we're washed and made new in the waters of baptism. You know, we often think of, and you can tell we think of it this way, uh, when a, a young person decides that they're ready to be baptized and they go and they get, they get dunked in the water and they come out and we celebrate and we rejoice and, and we all go up to their parents. And what do we say to their parents? Congratulations. Congratulations. And on the one hand, that's a, a completely appropriate response is to understand that baptism is the end of a journey of, of salvation and grace and growth. That you've been walking towards Jesus in some way in your life toward this moment where you go into the waters and you take on Jesus Christ as Lord for the rest of your life. 
You went from being apart from Jesus Christ to now through baptism, you are in Christ. You have arrived. You are there. Welcome to the destination. And yet, at the same time, it's not the end of a journey. It's a beginning. It's a new beginning. And if you think about an athlete who has spent their entire life practicing and training and preparing and, and trying to work their way towards getting into the, 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 a professional sporting event, and they spend their whole life preparing and training and exercising, and then at the moment when their name is called and they get on the field or the court for the very first time, and they step on there and they think, I have arrived. It's the end of that journey, but it's the beginning of their career. It's the beginning of the real game. It's the beginning of their journey in, in the big leagues. Hey, baptism functions in that way in the life of a Christian. On the one hand, everything you've done to prepare has brought you to this moment of arrival. On the other hand, you haven't done anything. You're just now a, a rookie and a new performer on this stage that has to now live into that to actually prove that you've got what it takes to walk the walk, to live this life out. And so Christians are babes in Christ, a new creature. There's someone who is just learning what it means to have the Spirit in them and shaping them and forming them. And, and it's the beginning of this great walk and journey that they're going to make with Jesus Christ. So it is, in one sense, an ending, and in the other sense, a beginning. And I want to get into today some more of what's happening in this moment that is both an ending and a beginning. But before we kind of get into the, the deeper stuff, we need to kind of hit a couple of things that we talk about a lot but are worth repeating. And so one of the things that is contested in the church and in Christianity today is what role baptism plays in salvation, in the process of becoming a saved person. Uh, and so there's some churches that, that tell you, uh, you just have to say a prayer and pray Jesus into your heart and you become saved. Um, back when I was a youth minister, uh, we ran into this kind of tension. We went to a, a concert. It was a Christian music concert. It was down at what was then the Ford Center. It's been renamed a couple times. The Paycom Arena, maybe, is what I think it is now. Uh, we're down there at this concert. It was called Winter Jam, and, and we're listening to these Christian bands. Uh, and they come to this moment uh, where they say, uh, listen, just close your eyes, and we're going to ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is, is Lord of your life? And if you do, raise your hand. Well, we all believe that. So the whole youth group raising their hand, um, and, and they say, now listen, if you're ready to give, if you want to live the way that Jesus wants you to live for the rest of your life, keep your hand up. And we've all got our hands up. Uh, and then they say, now if, everyone open your eyes and look at the person next to you. If that person's hand is up, they just got saved. Don't let them put their hand down. We're going to get a count of who all just got saved. And, and they start counting. And we're all sitting there kind of going, wait a minute. What are, what's the right thing to do in this moment? We don't know because we're in the Church of Christ and we know that you get baptized and get saved and this guy just told us that we got saved and to make sure the person next to you doesn't put their hand down and so we're just looking at each other like, I don't know if I should get counted or not or what happened and it was just really, really hilariously uncomfortable. Um, there's something more to accepting Jesus than just raising your hand and having the person next to you yell, don't put it down, don't put it down, don't put it down, stay committed to Jesus, we get, gotta get the count. There's definitely more to it than that. 
When Jesus tells people uh, that if you're going to become one of his followers, you really need to count the cost. There needs to be more to it than that. And I think even the way that we do it at times, that someone is kind of emotionally called to respond to maybe a message or a prompting or, uh, or a song that just connects to them in a worship service, and they come down and they say, I'm ready to be baptized, that, that we need to make sure that we're not just saying, uh, listen, if you're ready in this moment, let's get you wet while there's still a chance and while you're interested. There needs to be this real counting of the cost. There needs to be this real development uh, of faith. And baptism is a part of this. Jesus says in the Great Commission, which is his last moments that he's giving instructions to his his apostles and followers. In Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, this is what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Mark 16, at the end of Mark's gospel, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Let me say very plainly, there are no unbaptized Christians in the New Testament. There are no unbaptized Christians in the New Testament. They are baptized for the forgiveness of their sins so that they can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and become part of the adopted family of God. And that that's happening. And that that is what takes place in the New Testament. And if there's no unbaptized Christians in the New Testament, I don't know why we think there should be unbaptized Christians in the the church today. The, The scripture is giving us this example to follow. And the good news is that when we look outside of even churches of Christ into the larger Christian communities today, uh, that there are more churches, as far as I can tell, who are bringing baptism back into conversations about the plan of salvation than have probably been doing so for the last 1,500 years. Baptism as part of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit is growing in popularity. And it's important that we know, as members of the Church of Christ who have kind of been in the the Baptism Matters campaign for so many years, that that group is growing. That there are churches uh, that are calling their entire membership, if they want to be uh, children of God, that part of that process involves being baptized, being immersed in water. It involves this, this statement that is publicly saying, I want to be in Jesus Christ and I want his spirit in me and, and, and is getting to where God wants me to be. I'm going to be baptized. Uh, we're not the weird kid in the corner that is the only one saying baptism matters. This is growing in popularity in the church today. Uh, there continue to be churches that, that do baptize babies as part of a devoting children and dedicating children and committing to raise children in the Lord. And, and the thing that I just want to say about that is this, is that the faith of parents cannot save their kids. God does not have grandchildren. You cannot be born into Christianity by having parents who are already uh, members of a church. You cannot be born into Christianity by having parents who have faith that is so good and obedience that is so good that they can say, God, I've been so faithful. These are my children. They're your grandkids. It just works that way. 
There are no grandkids in the kingdom of God. God only has children. And the way that you become a child of God is by having your own faith and by growing in your relationship with God so that you do get baptized because you believe in Jesus and you become an adopted daughter or adopted son of the king. And then in doing that, you become a child. You can't just get brought in because of your parents' faith. You've got to make that decision and commitment and statement yourself. Baptism is really a time uh, where believers make an eternal vow of allegiance to Jesus. An eternal vow of allegiance. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, and if, you, if you're a regular here, you know that I go to this passage all the time. And the reason I go to this passage all the time is I think the church struggles to understand the implications for this in, in what it means to be a Christian today. And Paul understands that if we can figure out this Philippians 2 kind of Jesus way of living, that it's going to help us to get along with each other better. And if there's one thing that's true in our world today, it's that everyone's having a hard time getting along with each other, even within the church. And we need to be constantly reminded that Jesus Christ died on a cross and emptied himself and became humble, becoming nothing as an example to us. Paul says, listen, if you've received any encouragement or any benefit from being in Christ, then you need to live like him. Being obedient and humble and gentle and pouring yourself out for the sake of the kingdom of God and the sake for others. Uh, Here's how Jesus' life is described by Paul in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus is born into the humble nature of a human, the existence as a human. And then as a human, he lives putting the needs of others above himself. Jesus, over and over again, is the servant and not the master. He's the one who gives rather than trying to gain and receive. And he does so in such a way that he then tells his followers all these things like, you want to be the greatest, you become the least. You want to gain your life, you've got to lose your life. You want to be my follower, you're going to, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but anyone that follows me is going to give up everything to follow me. There's this constant uh, refrain in Jesus' ministry that if you want to be my follower, you've got to give and give and give So that you can, like Jesus, at the end of his giving, God exalts him and lifts him up. At the end of our giving, God exalts us and lifts us up for his glory, not not ours. Jesus made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant. He became obedient to death. When we get in the water, what we are doing is publicly in front of God and everyone saying, I'm willing to die for King Jesus for the rest of eternity. I'm willing to be obedient to King Jesus and his kingdom for the rest of eternity. I'm not holding anything back. I will give my life. Jesus died for me. I die for him. 
in the waters. This is the passage that was read to us earlier this morning in Romans. It says, don't you know that if you are baptized, you are baptized into Jesus' death so that you can then be baptized into his resurrection? It's a way of joining his death, of saying, Jesus, you died for me, now I die for you. I'll give my life for you, Jesus. That's how committed I am to this. It is an eternity-long declaration in front of everyone that I give my life to Jesus. Is it where we go to have our sins washed away? Yeah. But is it where we go to declare in front of everyone that we commit our life to Jesus Christ? Yes. It's an eternity-long commitment. And what happens when you're willing to make an eternity-long commitment? Your sins are washed away, and you know that you're going to get to spend forever in eternity with God. But there's other things that happen. The things that we don't talk about or think about as much. In 1 Peter, it tells us that if you are are part of God's people, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Baptism changes who you belong to. I've always belonged to my family. My family are allowed in my personal space more than other people. Uh, My family, uh, I trust more than I trust people that aren't in my family. Uh, If my family's going through trials and difficulties, I'm going to be there for them more than I'm going to be there for other people. But then I get baptized into Jesus Christ, and suddenly the people that I'm going to trust and the people that I'm going to be there with and the people that I'm going to allow into my trust and physical space more than other people become all of those other humans who have been baptized into Jesus Christ with me. It changes who I belong to and who belongs to me. If I was not in Jesus Christ and Alton walked up and hugged me the way he hugs me, he would freak me smooth out. (laughs) It would be terrifying. If he just came up and just, you know, did one of his like full-on drape hugs. But because Alton and I are both in Jesus Christ, he comes up and he does that. And I think this makes sense. This is because he and I are brothers. We're adopted children of God. It changes how we belong to each other. It changes our belongingness. Our us is transformed. People that used to be them and they and outsiders now become us and we and insiders because we're baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes in Galatians, So in Christ Jesus you were all children of God through faith, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul says, listen, the world tells you that there's all kinds of divisions between you and other people. And if you're baptized and they're baptized, those divisions are put to death. That's part of what dies in the water. Is any prejudice that the world says exists between you and your brother and sister in Christ, it's gone. Does that mean we become the same? No. We're still different. 
Some of us are older, some of us are younger, some of us are more or less educated, some of us have more or less money, some of us are, are different races and ethnicities and speak different languages. Does it mean that we all become the same? No. It's a beautiful, multi-ethnic, diverse, complex family of people who no longer look down on each other because of the differences. They celebrate them. They welcome them. They're united across all of those different forms of diversity in the way that a beautiful multi-ethnic family loves each other without prejudice. That's what the water changes. Brings us together with incredible unity and incredible diversity all there in the family. Is that the end of what's given to us in baptism? No, it's not. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching this sermon, and he's just had the Holy Spirit come on him in a powerful way, like tongues of fire. And as he's starting to preach, he's preaching, and, and all the people of all the nations of the world that are gathered at Pentecost in Jerusalem all of a sudden start hearing him preach in all the different languages that they speak. And they all understand this sermon that he's giving them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the difference it makes. And he gets to the end of it, and they say, well, what, what do we do? What do we do based on this Holy Spirit-fueled sermon you're preaching? And he says, let me tell you what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. But it was heard in all the languages of the world because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? It's many, many gifts. The gift of the Holy Spirit is that God is no longer someone you pray to there. It's that God now come and inhabits you as his new temple. It's that you now become the place where God breaks into the world through his coming in and shaping you. The Spirit gives you the courage and the wisdom to know how to say and when to say the message of God to a world that needs to hear it. The Spirit comes into you and begins producing in you fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These fruits that get produced in you slowly and over time are produced because the characteristics of God are contagious in you. If the Spirit of God dwells within you. And it begins shaping you and your character to match the character of God by the power of the Spirit, which is a gift you receive in baptism. The Spirit gives those of us who are baptized gifts. And the gifts that it gives us, whether it's proclaiming or teaching or compassion or mercy or giving, all the different gifts that the Spirit gives in us and, and gives us so that we can give them and share them to benefit the church. If you've been baptized, the Spirit is giving you gifts and growing gifts in you that you can use to serve and bless others. The Spirit guides us. It convicts us. When we don't know what to pray for, it prays on our behalf. It does so many things. And all of those things begin when you get baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's the takeaway. If you've lost me in all my yelling and, and whatever, here's, here's, hear this. If you believe in or baptized, are you saved? Yes. Is it where your sins are washed away so that you are no longer separated from God? Yes. Is that the end of what baptism does? No. 
No. Baptism is where we die and become resurrected. Baptism is where we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism changes our belongingness to who we belong to and who belongs to us. Baptism gets rid of the prejudices that exist between those uh, who are in Christ and, and us. It changes honor and shame. It does all these different things. It becomes a way of life, not just a moment that you ended your journey and said, now you're saved, don't worry about the rest of the stuff. It becomes a beginning of your life being transformed and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. Being willing to die for him because he died for you, but living that out by putting the interests and needs of others ahead of your own. Living that out by saying, we're part of one family because we're adopted children of God. Living that out by saying, the Holy Spirit is going to give me gifts that I use for God's kingdom. Baptism isn't a thing you do. It's a way of life. It's a way of joining with the Messiah and Savior who died on the cross so that we don't have to, but died on the cross to teach us how to. When are you ready? When are you ready to receive these blessings of baptism? It's not about a certain age, but certainly there's a time that you're too young. There's a time that if you ask someone, are you ready to give your life and publicly declare that you're going to commit to the rest of your life, that you're going to do something? Um, I'll just tell you, I don't think three-year-olds are ready to make a lifelong commitment to anything other than maybe mac and cheese. They love mac and cheese peanut butter jelly sandwiches they're in it um, but you know at the end of the day I thought I would be mac and cheese and peanut butter and jelly for life when I was three years old I don't eat them much anymore I grew up and I changed there's an age where you're ready to make a lifelong commitment and there's an age where you're not so how old do you have to be you have to be ready to know that peanut butter and jelly might not be for life that you want to make a commitment that will never end it's not about being able to pass a Bible knowledge test. You don't have to be able to tell me the history of the book, who wrote it, what it says. But you do need to have a love for God's word and hear God's word and know the truth of God's word and chase God's word as the thing that shapes you and molds you as a Christ follower. It's not about being good enough because none of us are good enough. And if you're waiting to get baptized until you're good enough, then you're putting your faith in the wrong person's goodness. The power in baptism is not because you're good enough. You never can be or will be. The power of baptism comes from the fact that Jesus Christ was good enough. Amen. And that he gave his life so that you might be saved. And the invitation to you today is if you're willing to receive that grace-filled gift in baptism, that you declare to the world, now I will give my life for him and live in all the different ways that baptism invites me to live. This morning, if you need to respond to that invitation or if you have any other needs, come forward as we stand and sing. I need